0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus. We begin at the end of chapter 6, and I'll continue through all of chapter 7. The story of Exodus is the rescue of God's people from their slavery in Egypt. In this biblical story, this true historical event, we see God's good and sovereign power, even in the worst of situations, we're confronted with the truth that God is the king above all other powers, the Lord of all, of our lives and over all people. Exodus is the good news that God rescues his people, that he provides atonement for sin, that God hears our prayers and responds to us. We've seen Moses return at the command of God to Egypt, to bring the command to Pharaoh that Pharaoh let God's people go. And yet, in the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, he has rebelled against God. And so now God will begin to show his power, to prove his might, to show forth his glory. Listen as I read. This is on page 60 of the Bible that's right there in front of you. I'm going to read Exodus Chapter 6 beginning at verse 28 through chapter 7 Exodus 6:28 Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt he said to him I am the Lord tell Pharaoh king of Egypt everything I tell you But Moses said to the Lord since I speak with faltering lips why would Pharaoh listen to me Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83, when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake." Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. "'The Lord said to Moses, "'Tell Aaron, take your staff "'and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, "'over the streams and canals, "'over the ponds and all the reservoirs, "'and they will turn to blood. "'Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, "'even in the wooden buckets and stone jars.' "'Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. "'He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh "'and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, "'and all the water was changed into blood.' The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water, because they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Let's pray that God would apply the truth of his gospel into our hearts. Father in heaven, as we read of your judgment, on the one hand it feels so distant, so removed from us historically, and yet on the other hand it feels so present because we understand that we deserve your judgment. And so, Lord, where we, where we feel the weight of conviction, where we feel guilt for our sin, let your Holy Spirit confront us, that we might turn away from sin and find our hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, for those that, that wonder about your power, that even doubt your goodness, I pray that in the truth of your word you would make yourself known to us, that we would understand who you are, that you are Yahweh, the God who rescues us. Lord, we thank you for the truths we've proclaimed, that Jesus, our Savior, has been raised from the dead. And so, Father, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Perhaps you saw the pictures from last year's public display in Egypt, the Pharaoh's Golden Parade. The mummified remains of 22 pharaohs were moved across Egypt's capital to the new National Museum of Egyptian Civilization. The pageantry and the beauty of the televised event was years in the planning. Actors dressed in royal garb. Spotlights and, and glamor uh, d- designed to, to capture the world's attention. Designed to get you to book a trip to see the museum. Vehicles were decorated in ancient motifs to transport the royal bodies. If you go today, you can still see the ancient power of Egypt, on display in the great museums, in the great pyramids and temples which still attract tourists today. Pharaoh's power was evident and obvious to Moses and Aaron. Pharaoh's power was absolute over the enslaved Israelites who worked under threat of his armies and power. Pharaoh's might was known the world over, the most powerful man in the known world. Pharaoh's power on display in his palaces and temples, his monuments to his own greatness. And yet, here in the book of Exodus, we will find out how limited Pharaoh is in his power. For we meet Pharaoh's opponent. Not merely Moses and his brother Aaron, but Yahweh, the Lord, the one who sends them. Listen again to the command that that God repeats to Moses, a command we've heard throughout this book. Look back at chapter six, verse 28. When Yahweh said to him, I am Yahweh, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt everything I tell you. Moses is the spokesman for God, God's prophet speaking at the command of God, under the authority of God, displaying the very power of God. And when God, in in there at the beginning of chapter 7, sends Moses and Aaron, look look at the the irony of the words that God speaks. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. I mean, there's an irony for for Moses himself, who has just said, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I'm terrible at this job, I'm unqualified, I shouldn't be the one you send. And God says, I will make you like a god before Pharaoh. Because it's not Moses' power that will be on display. It is Yahweh's power. But there's irony also for Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh is believed to be the incarnate sun god in the presence of his people, the Egyptians. He believes himself and declares through through proclamations. He has priests who worship him. He believes himself to be a God, but yet the true God, Yahweh, says, oh Moses, I'm gonna make you like God to that man who calls himself God. And Aaron will be like your prophet, the one who speaks the words that I give to you, because you are my prophet. That's all you're meant to do, is repeat and magnify and amplify the very words that I announce to you. Yahweh has put Moses in the position of power because Moses will display Yahweh's power. And that's what we're told will happen, verses three and four of chapter seven. When when God says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart, he says, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. This is the the reason that God will, will, will let Pharaoh be resolved and determined in his rebellion against God because God is going to multiply his power. God is going to show his judgment, his miraculous signs, his mighty acts of judgment, verse four says, will be on display so that even the Egyptians, verse five, will know that I am Yahweh. That by the outstretched power of God, everyone from the man who claims to be God, Pharaoh, down through all of the Egyptians, they will understand who Yahweh is. He is the only true sovereign king in the universe. There is not room in the universe for another to claim to be God. Pharaoh will be exposed as a fraud, as a counterfeit, as, yes, the most powerful man you could imagine, but still just a man, not a real God. There is only one God, Yahweh. Now, I know that such a claim sounds outdated and old-fashioned. Kevin, you really want us to believe there is only one God? There's only one in whom we can put our trust? There's only one hope of salvation? There is only one way to be saved? Because to say that there is only one God feels to us as modern people as if we don't respect the traditions, the opinions, of billions of people around the world, of, of people throughout history who believe something else. But when you say you want to be open-minded, when you say you, you, wanna, you wanna believe that, that there's not just one way, let me ask, are you, are you willing to blindly accept all religious claims as valid? Meaning, are, are you saying, when you, when you step back from the claim that there's one true God, are you saying, well, then that must mean that all religions, all philosophical systems, all ways of thinking are equally valid? Because that, well, that doesn't take anyone's claims seriously. Or are you trying to say, well, no, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, well, like, I guess I don't really believe any of it. I don't believe any of their claims. Okay, well, I think that's more consistent, logically, like that actually makes sense to reject all claims, rather than to accept all claims, even contradictory claims. But the problem with just rejecting all of them is, well, you just criticize Christians for being exclusive, and you've excluded, well, not just everyone else's beliefs, but Christianity's, you're, you're more exclusive because you're excluding and rejecting everyone, rejecting all other claimants. So the honest reaction to the Bible's claims that there is only one God, there is only one sovereign power, is to stop and say, is it true? Could it be right? Because it's not possible for all religious claims to be equally valid. I mean, just think of the mummies being taken across Egypt's capital. What happens to you when you die? Well, some religious systems say you better mummify that body because you're going to need it when you cross the river. Well, other claims will say you stop existing. Others will say you, you come back in a different form. Some will say there is an afterlife of heaven or hell. But, but it would be nonsense to say that all of those claims are true at the same time. But you'd actually have to figure out, well, then, which one is True. Is God who he claims to be? Now, thankfully, when God makes himself known to Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron listen to God, which isn't really what we'd have expected at this point. Yes, Moses went the first time. He came back to Egypt, he went to Pharaoh, but but so far, since that since that first rejection by Pharaoh, M- Moses has just continued to multiply the excuses. The same, I mean, he's recycled same of the excuse, some of the same excuses he used back with the burning bush. But he's come up with new ones. I, it can't be me. I'm a man of faltering lips. I'm a man unqualified and incapable. And yet, repeatedly in this passage, we're told that Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. We're told that in verse 6. It's repeated in verse 10 so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded them. Because we've met Pharaoh's opponent Yahweh and now we are we're going to be introduced to Pharaoh's gods to Pharaoh's claims to power. The first sign that God gives is one that we've already seen repeated at least twice here in the book of Exodus. When, when God revealed his power and, and Moses dropped his staff. Well, this same staff that it became a snake in the desert of Midian was repeated when, when he met with the, the leaders of Israel so that they would believe, that they would see the sign and believe the power. And so this sign is now meant to be displayed in the presence of Pharaoh. Aaron, we're told in verse 10, threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. And yet, rather than see the sign as an indication of the power and the authority of Yahweh who sent Moses and Aaron, what what does Pharaoh do? Oh, nice trick. We can play this game. I've got magicians as well. I've I've actually got a pretty big staff of wise men and and magicians and sorcerers, so somebody surely here is capable of doing this. This really doesn't seem all that big of a miracle. And so, Pharaoh summons his officials and and perhaps by genuine demonic power, because it's not as if there aren't some evil powers in the universe, other claimants to to the throne of God, Satan and his demons try to lay claim to God's throne. And so, so, by demonic power, these magicians are able to throw down their staffs, which also become snakes. So as Pharaoh can kind of shake his, well, wash his hands of it and just turn it and, and walk away, I mean, that's all you've got? You brought a staff into the, the court of Egypt and you thought this was going to convince me? Well, yet even as, even as the staffs of the Egyptians are there, well, Yahweh still wins this round because verse 12 tells us that, that each one of the magicians threw down his staff and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Oh, you can echo and repeat, you can copy the power that was on display, but, but God's power is still greater. The staff of Aaron swallows the snakes of Egypt, yet Pharaoh won't, res- won't listen to them, which is just as we had been told, just as we had expected and so now the signs and wonders will become more powerful. We will see 10 plagues unleashed on Egypt, the first given to us here, when the Nile will be turned into blood. These 10 signs to multiply the, 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 the power of God so that the, the people of Egypt won't be able to say, oh, well, you know, we can kind of do that too that as wave after wave crashes, they will understand the mighty and overwhelming and unrelenting and ongoing power of Yahweh. And so Moses is sent by God to meet Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the Nile River. He's told to, to give him now the warning I'm going to perform a, a bigger miracle, not just the staff turning into a snake, but, but your very life, the water of the Nile turned to blood. And so here in the morning, we, we find Pharaoh, not in his court, but at the Nile, perhaps to, to bathe like the daughter of Pharaoh had when she found the infant Moses decades before. Maybe he's here to worship with the rising sun over the Nile River to to pay homage to the gods of Egypt. Because the river itself is considered to be a god. The god of fertility, Hopi, who brings forth an annual inundation of this river when its waters rise to, to fill the land of Egypt and its fields with water. And the cultivated land fed by the canals and reservoirs that are mentioned here. Pharaoh is warned what will happen, that he will see the power of God when when Moses speaks to Aaron, and Aaron lifts the staff of God. The Nile River is turned to blood. Their very source of life, now filled with death. For the stench brings forth the the, the death of the, the fish, the, the, the river turned into blood, even the, the canals, the streams, the reservoirs, even the, the buckets and, and, and tubs and jars of water. Everywhere in Egypt, the water is now blood. Such the summary, we're told in verse 19, blood will be everywhere in Egypt, and in verse 21, we're given the, the summary, blood was everywhere in Egypt. And yet, Pharaoh says, once again, nice trick, but I think I can probably repeat this one as well. This is just the kind of thing my magicians are capable of doing. Now, at this point, they're going to have to not only scrounge to find the magicians again, but they're going to have to scrounge for water. Because to even show the power of the Egyptian gods, they're going to have to humble themselves to the power of Yahweh and go search for water somewhere. And yet when the, when the magicians come to perform their counterfeit miracle, yes, they can repeat it, at least on a small scale. But honestly, that's really no help at this point. Right, the real miracle would have been for Frau to say, all right, switch it back. Like, turn on the faucet, let's get it going. We're gonna need water today, so can you guys fix this? See, the real miracle is, is not some sort, of, some sort of show in which they can turn a bucket into, into blood, but that they could actually restore and fight back against the power of Yahweh. And yet they can't. Even their miracle brings more judgment on Egypt. I could have used that bucket of water today to wash, because it's gonna be a filthy, stinky, miserable day. And yet, the counterfeit miracle confirms the power and authority of God's judgment upon Egypt. Their very source of life, their God humiliated What about you? I, I doubt many of you got up and went to the river this morning to worship a, a God of water, a God of fertility. But if I ask you, what, what is your source of life? What would it be? If Yahweh were to expose the failure of the gods that you're tempted to trust, what would he attack? For Pharaoh, it's, Well, it's obvious. It's the source of hope and life. The seasonal source of of fertility and power. It's the river that runs through his kingdom. And so Pharaoh is there first thing in the morning. What about you? How does your morning begin? What couldn't you live without? For some of us, it's our vocations, the, the, the job, the tasks that we do because of the money and independence that they, they give us. And so, so we wake up maybe dragging ourselves to work but thinking, but, but it's necessary. Maybe we, 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 we chase after our vocations because of the value and significance we think they'll give to us. I mean, what would your life be without the work that you do? What would your life be without the, the history that you have and, the, and the, the career that you've accomplished? What would your life be if your pulpit was taken from you? Okay, maybe that one's a little specific. But do we find our hope and significance, our source of comfort and hope in the things we accomplish? Or maybe Pharaoh's just there to play in the river, although ancient people didn't tend to swim a lot. And the Nile is filled with crocodiles, so it's not always the safest place to play. But maybe for you, it is pleasure, comfort. Either to numb yourself to the pain of life, a counterfeit though won't actually solve your problems. And the longer you chase after the counterfeit, you begin to realize that this God, this God of pleasure can't satisfy or maybe you're not chasing it chasing pleasure to to numb yourself it's it's well you know what I'm kind of worth it like I've done a lot of stuff I've worked hard I kind of deserve this pleasure and comfort and other people should get out of my way and shouldn't cause me discomfort I should get what I want when I want it or maybe it's power whether financial political or personal if I get my way, I'll be happy. And false gods can satisfy temporarily. I mean, you wouldn't chase after them if if they didn't give you something in return. And the reason you chase after your career is because of the power and security and hope that that it gives to you. And yet, how long will it last? The, the pleasure that you seek will need to be replaced by even greater levels of pleasure. And any disruption to that will, will destroy you. Because false gods ultimately fail. In this life and in death itself, ultimately we will lose power and status and control because a false god cannot solve our deepest longings. A false god cannot answer our biggest struggles. For, for Egypt, the very source of hope and life, was also a, a reckless threat to them seasonally with its flooding. And now here, exposed by the power and authority of Yahweh, the one who spoke into existence the universe, the one whose finger draws the map of Egypt and the line of the river, says, and I'll turn it to blood so it doesn't bring you life, but only death and judgment. For if you chase after a false god, the true God will find you out. And that is Pharaoh's outcome. Pharaoh's gods are insufficient to defeat Pharaoh's opponent. And so so we find what we expected to find because God had told us he would harden Pharaoh's heart. That's what we read back in verse 3. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders, he will not listen to you. God is giving Pharaoh the very thing that he wants. His freedom, his sense of power, his, his divine authority that he's claimed for himself. God is going to say, if you want to be a God, then act like a God. You want to do what you want? Then fine, I'll confirm that you can do what you want. You'll get the very thing you want, except it's not going to be hope and life for you. It's going to destroy you. And so it's repeated then, then with, it, with each sign. These signs and miracles. In verse 13, after the, the, the staff of Aaron swallows up the staves of the mag- magicians, we read in verse 13, Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. After the Nile is turned to blood, when his magicians can repeat the miracle, when they, when they pour out more judgment, we read in verse, in verse 22, when the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard, he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace. Yahweh hardens Pharaoh's heart, confirms the very decisions Pharaoh has been willing to make. Pharaoh did what Pharaoh wanted to do, even if it meant destroying his own kingdom. Yahweh was just exposing the full extent of Pharaoh's stubbornness. Oh, you, you think you can stand up to me? Well, then let's see it. Go for it. But like a toddler screaming at, at, at her parents in defiance, it's, is, is Pharaoh, God with a little g, trying to shake off the, the authority of Yahweh, the true God of the universe? Because the scriptures tell us that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy In the book of Romans, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, actually describing the ministry of Pharaoh, that Pharaoh was raised up that God's power might be displayed. Therefore, this is Romans 9 verse 18, therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Everyone gets what he ultimately wants. Because the the book of Romans has already made the point that each one of us rebels against God. And so when God hardens the heart of Pharaoh, he just gives Pharaoh the very thing Pharaoh has been begging for all along. To do his own thing, to live his own way, to throw off the shackles of God's power and authority. We have all chosen to reject God. And so God hardening the hearts of sinners shows forth the power of God. See, sometimes when we read those that phrase, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, we think, uh-uh. I don't like that. I don't like God doing that to Pharaoh. See, that's not the surprising part. The the in, in Romans, when it says God hardens whom he wants to harden, well, yeah, of course. He's God. We're sinners who have rebelled against him. Of course he would let us suffer the consequences of our own rebellion. That he would confirm the very thing we said we want. The the surprise in these verses is that God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. Because there is no one deserving of mercy. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to have our hearts hardened because that's the very thing we've asked for that we desire. There is grace, though, that God says he has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And as the Apostle Paul continues his argument, the very next chapter will say that everyone, anyone, whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, there is hope for those with hardened hearts who year after year, day after day have have turned away from God, have turned and walked back into the palace of luxury and said, God, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I'm going my way. I'm going back into the palace where I can live how I want. That's the pattern that each of us lives in if we won't confess that God is. Is merciful. And yet, when we say that Jesus is Lord, we're repeating the, the very thing that God showed up and said in the book of Egypt, in, in, in the book of Exodus in Egypt. I am Yahweh, the Lord. When you declare that Jesus is the great and glorious and powerful Yahweh, then you find salvation through him because he's the God who will use his power for your good. All Pharaoh does is try to hold on to his power to show forth, okay, you can do that, well, I can do that too. To turn and walk away to to consolidate his kingdom, you can't take away my slaves, they're mine, I need them, I want them, I need more towers, more, more pillars, more palaces to show forth my greatness. And yet the true God, Jesus, the true king, is the one who serves you, who doesn't turn his back to walk into the palace, but turns from the palace of heaven to walk into your rebellion, to take judgment for you, to die on the cross, to show us what does the mighty power of God, what does the outstretched arm of God look like, It looks like the savior of the world nailed to a criminal's cross. See, the reason that you can turn and find your hope in Jesus is he's the God who uses his power for you because he loves you. He rescues you. He is the God who will not disappoint, the God who willingly absorbs the righteous wrath and judgment of his Father in heaven. As we continue to look at the plagues in the coming weeks, we will see the the power of God begin to overwhelm. Yes, the magicians can turn staffs into snakes. They can turn water into blood. But as Yahweh pours out his judgment, the gods of Egypt fail. But thanks be to God. He shows mercy to his people. Thanks be to God, we have victory in Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you praise for the ministry, for the work of Jesus our Savior, for the the salvation that, that we receive, not by anything good we've done, but by your mercy. You're the God who has softened our hearts, the God who has given us new hearts, given us the faith to believe, and so, Lord, do that work even now. Let your power be on display, your power of judgment that we see in the cross of Jesus, our Savior. Your glorious power shown in the forgiveness of our sins and your extravagant mercy poured out on us. Father, we give you praise through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.